the ANA Champions of Growth podcast. I'm Matthew Schwartz. In the current and uncertain economy, B2B marketers may be inclined to put most of their budget into performance marketing and lead gen efforts and reduce their branded advertising investments. But Jim Habig, Vice President of Marketing at LinkedIn Marketing Solutions, doesn't really see it that way. Habig says that despite the economic headwinds, many B2B customers have maintained their branded advertising and want to keep the momentum going so when the economy bounces back, they are better positioned than competitors that relied solely on lead gen. Habig recently joined me on Champions of Growth to talk about why B2B marketers should be careful not to give branded advertising short shrift, how the vernacular of B2B ad creative is changing slowly but oh so surely, and why product development is not the end-all be-all to growing your customer base. Jim, glad you could be here. Matthew, thank you for having me. Jim, I wanted to start with what is most likely top of mind for many B2B marketers right now, an unpredictable economy. The Fed stepped up its battle against inflation earlier this week by raising its benchmark interest rate to the highest level in 15 years. But that could help trigger a recession, which has been looming over our heads for the last several months. You also have a recent wave of layoffs among the big tech companies. How are all of these signals impacting ad buys heading into next year? Listen, it's no secret that marketing budgets are being scrutinized right now. And I think that's exceedingly appropriate. You know, marketing budgets are meant to be scrutinized in lean times as well as fat times. So we're seeing consideration and sort of a a rebalancing across portfolios. What we are seeing is an interesting trend that sort of bucks commonly held orthodoxy. In sort of tighter markets, the conventional wisdom would have it that you'd pillage your brand spend, your sort of more top of funnel techniques and pile it into more demand generative, shorter term activities. We're not quite seeing that to play out just from having a couple of recessions under our belt as a collective marketing community now. We're starting to realize I don't want to zap my momentum on building that long-term brand affinity and awareness because essentially you're just mortgaging your future. What they're increasingly doing is is recognizing we have to invest smartly. We have to be pragmatic about our investment right now, but we don't want to completely rob Peter to pay Paul. And amid the mixed signals economically, what's the value proposition BB marketers need to provide to the CFO who's going to be looking at the ledger with a lot more jaundiced eye than normal, at least the next several months? This is the time that marketers can really prove their worth. I've always thought of marketing as being a heavy dollop of internal storytelling as well as to complement the external storytelling. So just generally, marketers can do a better job of speaking the language of the financial suite. Being able to relate results and KPIs and the value that they build in a business to the financial suite is promising territory for them to lean into. So we stop grading ourselves on activity and being in market and and pretty superficial metrics. And we start relating that through whatever econometric approach or however your business is best measured, but relate it more into terms that the financial suite is going to react to. Think about it as driving tremendous value for future cash flow and for pricing power and just getting a little bit more mind share with the financial suite. There's a real special connection in the CMO, CFO relationship, and it's something that we're trying to help our customers navigate that conversation. Are some of your customers still suffering from vanity metrics? I don't think we'll ever eradicate the vanity metric challenge. They can have their utility, but in context of a much broader picture. 
when you become too reliant on them, you're setting yourself up for um, for some myopia. As long as you're taking into account the entire picture of your results, those more activity scoring can be useful, but only insofar as it pulls through to some real results. With an unpredictable environment, the natural inclination among B2B advertisers might be to ramp up their budgets for performance marketing and lower funnel equity at the expense of branded advertising. But in a previous conversation we had, Jim, uh, you said that this performance marketing versus B2B branding debate is a red herring. Even in the language that we use, it's like you've got performance media and then you've got, I don't know, the other stuff. It doesn't compute. I'm a firm believer that all of your activities across the funnel are driving a value. It's just how are you registering it? Are you registering it in the near term? Or are you registering it in the longer term? An over-rotation on the short term really does set you up for some challenges, especially in these times where the, the balance can become quite skewed. Now, as I mentioned, we're actually seeing a bucking of that trend. More marketers are getting wise to the brands that invest through these turbulent times are actually going to exit any kind of impending recession much stronger than when they went in because they kept their foot on the gas. That's more the dialogue that we've been having. To your prior question, how are you relating the results of this? So you're not just communicating a GRP essentially, but you're relating that back to because we stayed in market, because we were able to set this sort of base layer of brand awareness and affinity, this is translating into future sales. Being able to actually model that, being able to quantify that is increasingly important. It's not a zero-sum game in any way. It's more melding. Is it melding what the purpose of how lead gen can feed into branding and vice versa? Yeah. I mean, I think you use an analogy of it's the bass and the treble and it's all in the mix. You need to have the right stereo to listen to both of those, to both the high and the low end. And sort of staying in this vein, Jim, what kind of trends do you see in B2B ad creative? Since we're talking about B2B branding, ad creative being an increasingly important component there. Take me through a couple of uh, good examples of B2B firms that are disrupting their audiences. Uh, there are a handful of brands that are bucking this sort of, we call it the product fallacy. It's what a lot of B2B brands have suffered from in the past, which is if I could just communicate that my product is like 5% better than my competitors, everybody's got to buy me, right? And that's, I think that is how a lot of people make decisions, how all of us really make decisions. So the brands that are really standing out now are ones that are making a more gut level, a more visceral argument to their audience. And they're doing it at a, at a pretty broad level. And I think that this, this much broader storytelling is going to win the day. I look to brands like Salesforce, like HubSpot, they've really got a knack for this now. And I think they're good avatars for this new trend. Think about Salesforce's campaign, Team Earth. It's big ideas. It hits on this insight that in a time when a lot of other platforms are taking a, a stance of aversion of like, let's explore other worlds. They're like, nah, let's let's invest in what's right in front of us here. That's really hitting a nerve. And it's hitting a nerve beyond even their sort of tight cohort of folks who are empowered to buy Salesforce solutions. That's more of the creative storytelling that I think is going to carry these brands into the next generation. It's really all an acknowledgement that like, while not everyone can buy our products, everyone should know about our brand. Because then you're setting that base layer for folks who everybody's going to have an interaction with these brands over the course of their working career. Now they're primed to understand what they're about, to understand their purpose. So is it possibly a part of your job to disabuse clients that the product will sell itself? 
here again, it's all about the mix. It's all about bringing the right kind of attention to that brand building, to the storytelling, as well as to just product improvement. This is one of the underpinning theses in sort of this product-led growth space that you hear people talking about a lot, where the product needs to be inviting. It needs to be welcoming. It needs to be broadly accessible. You also need to be able to tell the story of that product, what your raison d'etre in the market is. It's really a complementary approach. And so when we talk to customers, we try and coach them on that. Typically, B2B organizations have really given the ball to the product and sort of let that run. There's increasingly a recognition that that's only one half of it. We also need to be investing in making our brand more accessible, more inviting, and more comprehensible. Does it still swing even with all this mediaocracy? Do you still think it still swings way too far in the product direction? We're on a journey here. More B2B brands are starting to fess up to the fact that we're all media purveyors as well. I have this deeply held belief that all con- all marketing is content marketing. And you could be working in any kind of medium, but the end result is you're trying to influence, you're trying to codify perceptions. And that all really comes down to a story. It comes down to, to content. The faster brands can recognize that stance, the better off they'll be. And they'll start dropping a couple nickels into that brand building bank. And Jim, that sort of plays into my next question, this conversation about the blurring of B2B and B2C advertising playbooks. So do you see in a collective sense more B2B advertising, adoptive, creative elements that maybe even just a few years ago were largely considered the domain of consumer-facing brands? This is going back to my days of Crane's B2B, may it rest in peace. Why can't B2B advertising be sexy? Well, we're certainly on a mission to make it so. I do think you see more brands adopting the vernacular of B2C creative specifically, because I do think that there are some areas where B2B is necessarily going to divert. But on creative specifically, to come back to Salesforce and not to turn this into a podcast length advertisement for Salesforce, but look at the techniques that they're using. They debuted that campaign at the Super Bowl. They're using very high profile celebrity spokesperson. They are building a brand world that's populated by mascots and really distinctive brand assets. These are all really underutilized, underleveraged techniques in the B2B world. Why is that? This stuff at the end of the day works. I did this exercise the other day with my team where I just said, break me off a piece of that. And then they had to say Kit Kat bar. And it's because it's, it's so embedded in our brains, you can't not say it. Mm-hmm. And that's such a um, evocative technique that why doesn't more B2B marketing at least engage with that technique. We should all consider when we're trying to build worlds for our brands. And Jim, I want to switch gears here. According to the 2022 Buyer Behavior Survey released by Demand Gen Report and Demand Base, respondents indicated that a faster buying cycle is putting the squeeze on B2B companies to improve their content marketing efforts. How is the need for speed among more and more buyers changing content creation and distribution? There's, uh, there's certainly some contraction happening in the buying cycle, and that's keeping pace with customer demands. But I still think it's leagues apart from where the B2C buying journey has come to resemble. I just ordered a drying rack. 
right before we start talking because I needed one, it broke, and hopefully it's already there by the time we finish this podcast. But mm -hmm. that immediate gratification, incredibly compressed buying cycle is sort of what we've come to expect as consumers of regular goods. But for B2B, it's still such a prolonged experience, such a prolonged journey that it still necessitates a very long range, long view approach. There's definitely a tug towards a more quicker and also more compact buying cycle, but we're still very far off from that. Does underscore the importance for brands to really set that base layer of brand awareness. They've got the mental availability. They're on that day one list once someone comes into market. There's still so much we could be doing to just make this process easier, to deliver utility through it, and to tailor content to the exact right moments in that journey that help people make that next decision. Stay with us. We'll be right back. We now take a break for a brief message regarding ANA Newsstand. The ANA produces four in-house publications covering the latest developments and trends in B2C, B2B, brand purpose, and across the industry at large. With practical insights from leading brand marketers, agency partners, and industry experts, our publications are designed to give marketers the real-world intelligence they need to drive growth and boost their value. Find the publications at ana.net slash newsstand. And now back to our show. Welcome back. I'm speaking with Jim Hebig, VP of Marketing at LinkedIn Marketing Solutions, about trends in B2B advertising. Jim, I want to sort of pick up where we left off. With B2B purchasing by committee now the norm, is there a growing onus on B2B organizations to have a multi-pronged marketing strategy in which the marketing team produces disparate types of content, not just for the ad marketing executives, but also people in finance and product development, as we've been talking about, and IT executives? Is that getting to be the price of entry for B2B marketers? Absolutely. This is a, a unique phenomenon in the B2B market where no one person can make a decision. You cannot go it alone. You need to make a bunch of different clocks chime at the same time. That requires a pretty fundamental shift in how we approach the market. In the B2C world, everything is built on individual choice. I can walk into a store, I make my own decision to buy that product, take it off the shelf and take it home with me. In B2B, you can't do that. You got to talk to like 10 other people. This is underpinning a lot of the work that we've been doing to sort of shift the onus from individual choice onto groups of people making choices together. This is exactly the idea that's influencing a lot of the work we're doing on this group identity solution, where instead of having the nodes be sort of individual people, it's more buying groups. Groups and understanding the interplay in those buying groups and how to serve out content to each decision maker in them. That's just going to hopefully change a little bit of how B2B marketers try and reach their customers. There's also an added benefit of this being just a much more privacy safe approach. You don't have to traffic in individuals uh, any longer. You need to really adopt that long view and think about how you're affecting gradual change in people's perceptions over a very long time frame. It's a problem that we've been thinking about a lot in terms of like, well, how do you even grade yourself on that? How can you be sure that you have that brand heat? You're well positioned to affect a buying decision amongst a group of, of decision makers at a given company. So it's something that we're thinking about a lot with our data science teams and trying to come to a better barometer for really taking all of the different uh, features into account, all the different signals into account, but assessing that brand heat. Where is personalization and AI in all of this when you're appealing to that collective? 
the lore of programmatic creation of marketing messages and creative is very appealing, especially as we're thinking about having to reach a rapidly expanding buying group and influence them. There's tremendous opportunity to experiment with these approaches. What I'd caution though, as a creative marketer, I'm worried a little bit about sanding off the edges, sanding off the sort of idiosyncrasies of, of our messaging. And that's the stuff that really catches your attention. You know, that's the stuff that really gives you something to grab onto. This is a tremendously powerful tool, especially as we're thinking about how do we reach buying groups and, and how do we customize messaging to different functions and different mindsets and different psychographics. But we need to temper that with a strong point of view on brand voice and where we want to play and what our story is and what our purpose is. It's one of these things where we're not going to uh, eat our lunches on the creative marketer side, but it is a powerful tool that I think we can leverage and bring into context with that real creative eye. One marketing strategy for dealing with buyers in a hurry cited in a recent ANA Newsstand article is to co-create with the market, such as collaborating with customers and prospects on market research projects or inviting them into a sandbox environment. Are you seeing more of that with clients and similar asks from prospects? Absolutely. And it's something we're trying to encourage. There is an opportunity around a new approach of sort of open sourcing a brand and turning it over to the community to co-create messaging, to co-create even the products themselves. And this is something that we've been seeing pretty often on LinkedIn with the use of even just like company pages and using those as more of a a locus for conversation and an investment in the community. Because then you're going to identify those brand advocates. You're going to identify those folks who really care deeply and are thoughtful about your brand and, and the direction they think you should take things, enlisting their support and enlisting their fantastic ideas for how to propel your whole organization forward is a very promising trend that we're seeing in this B2B space. So it's something we're trying to to coach more, more brands to really give a, a, a wholehearted embrace. And are B2B marketers trying to get more into workflow, quote unquote, as well these days? Is that something that's underestimated when it comes to strengthening relationships? That's actually not necessarily unique to B2B, but any kind of marketing approach that delivers utility is always going to be more welcomed. Even just thinking about the instances where I was really happy to buy products in a sort of B2C context, it's always because they made my life easier in some form or fashion. And with B2B, a lot of the time it's they're making your work life easier. That's another really promising trend and something we certainly coach more brands to embrace. As we start to wrap up here, Jim... B2B marketers, of course, are the original narrow casters. We seem to be living increasingly in a narrow casting world, but B2B marketers are still grappling and seems frankly that sometimes they're just sort of stabbing in the dark with all this content and media stuff. What do you think B2B marketers may overlook in such an ever-changing business and such a hyper-competitive environment for share? There's a lot of excitement in this B2B space and a lot of opportunity. And the thing that I'd urge us all to not overlook is even amongst all this doom and gloom, I think we need to keep our sights on. This should be fun. A lot of us decided to pursue this marketing discipline because it is that very special blending of art and commerce. And we get to traffic and ideas every day and, and story and messaging. Even when times are tough, maybe especially when times are tough, I'd urge us all to not lose sight of that, to consider ourselves really lucky that we get to work in this space. Okay, and a, an encouraging message to uh, leave on. We're going to move now to our lightning round question, Jim, which is, 
what is the most important challenge facing CMOs right now? I'll just knock out one of the letters and say CFO, because I think that that, that conversation between CMOs and CFOs and getting them to speak the same language, to see each other's plight in a very clear way is the biggest opportunity facing CMOs. So how do you speak the love language of your CFO? Okay. And we'll have to leave it there. Jim, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you, Matthew. This is a, uh, this is a thrill. To learn more about trends in B2B marketing and advertising, please go to LinkedIn Collective on LinkedIn.com. If you would like to recommend a guest or topic for a future episode of Champions of Growth, please email me at mschwartz at ana.net. And be sure to subscribe to Champions of Growth wherever you listen to podcasts. That's all for now. I'm Matthew Schwartz. Thanks for listening.